Well, good morning. My name is Bryce Hales. I'm the pastor here at Resurrection OC, and it's great to have you with us this morning. We are continuing our series, We Are Family, in the book of Ephesians. So if you have a Bible with you, would you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3? And uh, if you didn't bring a Bible, there's a blue Bible on the ground at the end of your aisle, and you can find Ephesians 3 on page 977 in one of those Bibles. Ephesians uh, tells the story of the gospel of the church, the family of God. Um, It tells us about what God is doing in the world. So why don't you stand with me? Let me invite you to stand as we give our attention to the word of God this morning. What an amazing thing that God would speak to us. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister, according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Will you pray with me? God, would you help us not to lose heart? And much more than that, would you help us to see the glory that is ours in Christ Jesus this morning as we give our attention to your word? Would you do that in us? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated, please. One of the really tangible memories I have from my childhood is the memory of going to visit my grandparents. And we would get to their house, and they lived in this apartment complex overlooking the beach in San Clemente, and my brother and I would run down the hall and into the front door, and we knew where the toy cabinet in my grandparents' house was. And it seemed like this toy cabinet, maybe just because it wasn't ours and it wasn't our normal toys, but seemed to hold these treasures, these just incredible, you know, so much better than the toys we could get at home. And one of the things that I loved getting my hands on was the viewfinder. Remember what these things were? You could look into them and there was a little wheel with these tiny little pictures. You snap the button and the wheel would spin around and you get to look at these pictures and I think my grandparents viewfinder it only had they only had like one wheel like there was only one set of pictures I think it was National Geographic pictures and my brother and I would race to see who gets it first because we had to see these picture this picture of Niagara Falls and then you click it and you'd see the Grand Canyon and then you'd 
click it and you'd see the California Redwoods. And it was so incredible. My brother and I would race to see who could get it first. And then we would argue about how long you can look at it before you have to share. And we were so captivated by the wonder of this little toy because it seemed to hold such uh, potential. Um, it seemed to hold out this hope of like this big world that I didn't know very much about, but I could see a little tiny glimpse of it in the viewfinder. I know it's just a simple toy, and yet to me, it's a reminder of a time that life in general seemed to have so much more awe and wonder, and life as a little kid, you know, it seemed magical, like the world was so full of possibility. And of course, I grew up, and we all grow up, and um, part of growing up is losing some of that naivete, isn't it? But I also think that the reality for us in this room is that we have grown up into a time when it's really hard to look at the world with a sense of awe or wonder. Um, I don't know if my kids have ever looked through a viewfinder. I know that they've never spent an entire afternoon like just enraptured by such a thing. What technology has done in our world, um, technology has done incredible and beautiful things for our world, hasn't it? And yet what the reality of the fact is that, uh, is that each of us with a smartphone in our pockets has you know, at our fingertips the answer to anything that might seem slightly ambiguous or mysterious for even a second. My kids don't understand what the internet is. Like remember there was a time when you would be on a computer and it didn't connect to anything? Like my, parents, my kids don't even understand that that's a thing, like that the internet is separate than a device that connects to it. I don't think they know what Siri is, but they know she has the answer to everything. And um, you know, dad, what time is the Dodger game tonight? Let's ask Siri, you know, we can get the answers to anything. And so there's no ambiguity and there's no mystery. And so it crowds out the room for awe and wonder in our lives. And I want to ask you this morning if that maybe sounds a little bit like your experience of Christianity. Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time. And for you, it's not really a question of belief. Um, you're convinced as much as you can be that the Bible is true and that Jesus is who he said he was and that he rose from the dead and that it's all true. And yet you've lost the joy and the wonder. And oftentimes Christianity feels um, like a set of oughts, you know, a bunch of things that we ought to do. And while you believe it all, it seems to have lost some of its, some of its luster. And if that's you, then what I want to tell you is that the Apostle Paul is talking to you this morning, and he wants you to rediscover the wonder of what God is doing in the world. There is a mystery that he wants to tell you about. Or maybe you're here this morning and uh, maybe you're younger in the faith or maybe you don't consider yourself a Christian or you're not sure. And uh, maybe part of that is that there seems to be a disconnect between the Jesus who promises abundant life and the followers of Jesus and the actual lives that they live. And we look at the promise, which seems to be full of possibility and wonder and then the real Experience of the lives of those who follow Jesus, and it doesn't seem like awe and wonder and abundance. It seems like pretty average, <laughs> normal, a little bit rigid at times. 
And if that's you, then this passage is for you too, because the way of living that Jesus invites us to is not just a matter of following the rules. To be clear, there are, there are rules involved in following Jesus, but what Jesus is inviting us into is not a lifestyle that's like a paint-by-numbers kind of lifestyle. It's a life of adventure and a life of wonder. It's hard for us to believe, I think, that that is possible living in the world where everything is explainable or an explanation is just a moment away. But there's this great scene in The Incredibles. You remember the Pixar movie, The Incredibles? It's like, like 10 years old or so. And uh, it, in The Incredibles, what happens is Mr. Mr. Incredible, um, who's incredible, right? That's why he's called that. And, uh, he, but he's been uh, banned from living... This life, you know, where he makes, makes, he has all these incredible superpowers. He can do these incredible things, and yet he can't make use of his incredible powers. And so he's living just a boring, ordinary life. And he gets stuck in traffic, just like all of us, and he lives, a, works a job where he's got this boring cubicle. And, uh, and he knows that life should be so much more, that, there, that there's more to life, and yet he's stuck in this ordinary, monotonous boring existence and one day he drives into his driveway and there's this little kid on his tricycle and he's been hanging around the incredible house because he realizes that every once in a while something happens there and Mr. Incredible you know boringly gets out of his car and he looks at this little kid on his tricycle and he says well what are you waiting for and the kid says I don't know something amazing I guess Mr. Incredible kind of says, yeah, you and me both, kid. And I think that's a picture of the world that we live in. Where we have this sense that life has the potential to have so much more and there's something amazing that we are longing for. There's so much more out there if we could just figure out how to find it. Well, guess what? Ephesians 3 is the answer to what we are longing for. Because in Ephesians 3, Paul tells us about something amazing. In Ephesians 3, Paul, um, I think it's funny what happens in Ephesians 3. Paul is actually about to start praying. And in, in verse 1, he says, I, Paul, uh, what does he say? For this reason, I, Paul. And he's launching into this prayer where he's going to pray for his readers. He's going to pray for these Christians in Ephesus. But what happens to Paul is what often happens to me and I think a lot of us when we pray, that we begin to pray and then we get distracted. And Paul, um, you can see that, that this is what he's going to do because in verse 14, he comes back, he says the same phrase again. He says, for this reason, I, in verse 14, and there what he does is pray. Right? So he starts in verse 1, he says, for this reason, I, Paul, is about to pray, but then he thinks of something else and it distracts him and it captures his imagination. What is it? What is it that captures his imagination? Well, he begins to talk about a mystery. And four times, I think, maybe five or six times in this short passage, he uses the word mystery. He says that in verse 9, he says, this mystery has been hidden for ages. There's a mystery that's been hidden from it for ages. In verse 8, he says that the mystery has to do with unsearchable riches. He says it was only made known by a revelation from God. Uh, Peter kind of talks about the same thing in 1 Peter. He, um, talking about this mystery, what Peter says is that the angels of God long to look into this mystery. 
Peter's saying that the angels who are forever in the presence of God, they long to, like, a, like that viewfinder, they want to grab it from each other and just look at it for a minute. They're so intrigued by this mystery. So what is it? Well, in verse 6, Paul says very clearly, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now, is anybody just a little bit disappointed? (laughs) What's mysterious about that? Why does Paul call this a mystery? Well, it's not a mystery because it's a secret. In Christianity, there are no secret handshakes. Um, There are no secret doctrines that you don't learn until you've asked after you've already like signed your life away. It's not a mystery because it's a secret. It's a mystery because it is beyond human discovery. Common sense will never get you to this mystery. Nature will never get you to this mystery. It is revealed only by God and is now given as an open secret to the church. Paul says that the mystery is that access to God isn't reserved for just one group of people. There are no insiders and outsiders in the church. It's not just for one social group or one racial group or one ethnic group. It's not just for people who are good enough. It's not just for people who live up to God's standards. The mystery is that the gospel, uh, the mystery of the gospel is the inclusion of outsiders. Okay, that's what Paul is saying here. The mystery is that the gospel, by the gospel, God is building a new people, the church. The mystery is the inclusion of outsiders. Now, I don't know if that strikes you as mysterious, but it should because there's literally one organization on the planet that's doing that. I mean, imagine if you go and say, like, I want to join this photography club. And they're like, great, do you have a camera? No. Well, go get a camera or you can't be in the photography club. Why not? Well, it's because that's what we do, right? It's only for people who want to take pictures. There's only one organization on the planet. The church is the only organization in the world that exists for the good of those who are not uh, yet members of it. I talked about this a little bit last week, but if you go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible in Genesis 12, what you see is God appearing to Abraham. And God shows up to Abraham and says, Abraham, I'm going to be your God and your people will be my people. And God establishes the nation of Israel as unique as his own people. (coughs) And the Jews always had this sense that um, God was blessing them in order to be a blessing to the whole world. But what they thought that that would look like is this. Um, You're welcome to join us. You're welcome to become one of us. Um, Does that make sense? You're welcome to be one of us as long as you become one of us. Um, We're not here for your benefit. We're willing to accept you as one of our own, but you must go through the process of becoming an Israelite like the rest of us. By the time of the New Testament, some religious leaders in the nation of Israel uh, began to say that the only reason God created Gentiles was because he needed fuel for the fires of hell. (laughs) There is a purpose for you (laughs) to burn. But in Christ, this beautiful mystery is revealed. You don't have to become an insider to know God. You don't have to be an insider to know who God is. What nobody ever expected was this, that this theocracy, this one nation, the military to protect it and its own currency and all that it means to be a nation, the mystery is that nobody ever expected this. 
that the theocracy would give way to a multicultural international community known as the church. And that means the possibility of relating to God, not the way that you relate to a king or let's say to a president. I mean, how do you relate to your president? You know a lot about him, you have an opinion about him, and you're never going to actually meet him. And that is no longer the way that the church relates to God. We don't relate to God as a king. The church relates to God as the family that he loves and the temple that he lives in. That's the beautiful mystery. Verse 10 says, So that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Okay, who are the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places? It's angels and demons. Okay, what Paul is saying is that the thing that angels are eager to look at and even demons are sort of perversely fascinated with is the manifold. Manifold, that means multicolored. And so what he's saying is that God is weaving this this multicolored tapestry in his wisdom. God is, uh, the, the tapestry of God's wisdom is woven together in the church where insiders and outsiders and rich and poor and people from every nation and race and tribe and tongue and ethnic background and social standing are one and equal in Christ. Or to put it more personally, the mystery is this. You have a home. You belong. You have a family. You have a father who loves you. The mystery is that in Christ you are never truly alone because on the cross Jesus reconciled you to God. And having reconciled you to God, he's also reconciled you to his people. He's given you a family and a home in the church. It's an incredible mystery. It's captivating and it's awe-inspiring. And in some ways, I think the mystery of it is that it's so stinking ordinary. (laughs) The church, like this, just body, this is the mystery of what God is doing in the world. It's wonderful in its scope. And it's wonderful in how ordinary it is where there are anxious souls finding wholeness. And there are broken people finding healing. And there are lonely people finding that they have a family. So let me ask you, do you see the beauty? Do you see the wonder? Uh, Does it grip your mind? Does it capture your imagination? Because if it does, then the question has to be, well, what should we do about it, right? If God is calling us into this life where we are following Jesus on an adventure, into this mysterious unknown where we know it's going to be good, but we don't know exactly what it means, the question is, well, what should we do about it? What, What does that look like for me? And I want to answer that question by pointing you to what Paul says about himself in this passage. Because I think what Paul, if you notice, there are these autobiographical moments that are woven throughout these verses. Where Paul keeps saying, mystery, mystery, mystery. But then he keeps talking about his own experience and his own response too. And I think what Paul is saying is that as I began to see myself called into the wonder of this mystery of following Jesus... I began to discover that that God actually had a purpose for my life too. And that my purpose was to be found somehow in the unfolding of this mysterious story. And while that's what Paul says about himself, I think as we look about what he says, we'll see that it's true for us as well. If you've been captivated by the wonder of the gospel, what Paul is saying is that you have become, uh, that you have been commissioned 
to make it known. He's saying that good news must be shared. In verses 7 through 9, he says that he was made a minister of this mystery. Now, what does a minister do? A minister is somebody who, who serves. So he's a minister of the mystery. It's his job to make that mystery known. He says in verse 8 or verse 7 or 8, I think, to, uh, that, that he's been called to preach or proclaim the mystery of the gospel. And then in verse 9, he says that he has been called to bring to light the mystery. Okay, he's saying that he, are, he is and we are called to make that mystery known. Why? Because good news has to be told. Have you ever wondered, have you ever been like captivated by something and never told anyone about it? This last week, uh, Robert, who's already been mentioned, and I went to lunch at Pub 74 uh, in San Juan. It was great. And I had been there. I knew it was going to be great. And Robert had never been there. And we sat, he's like, this place is awesome. And I'm like, you're going to tell people, aren't you? That's what you have to do, right? You find a good restaurant, you got to let people know. I'm partially saying this because Robert said that I would only tell three people. And I just, see, I just told everybody how awesome Pub 74 is. Why would we not want to tell you guys about what an incredible meal we shared? Good news has to be shared. And I don't think I've really enjoyed something unless it's something that I want to talk about. In verse 2, Paul says this another way when he says that he has become a steward of God's grace. Now think about what it means to be a steward. Um, who is a steward obligated to? Let me put it like this. If you um, said to me, hey, I want to give you a gift, and I'm going to give you some money, and Bryce, what I want you to do is I want you to take your family out for a meal, uh, to whom am I obligated? I mean, it's a gift, but if anything, I kind of owe a, a grat gratitude to you who gave me the gift, right? But now imagine if you gave that to me, but said, what I want to do is I want to give Jason and his family a meal, but I don't want him to know who did it. So you give the money to me and say, I want you to make this happen for the Reed family. Who am I obligated to then? Well, I'm obligated to you because you gave this to me. You entrusted it to me as a steward, but I'm also obligated to Jason, right? A steward is obligated both to the giver and to the receiver of the gift. And Paul says that is our role once we've been brought into this mystery. Once we've been brought into the mystery, we then become stewards of the mystery. We are recipients of the mystery, but it's given to us in stewardship. And so we have an obligation not just to the giver, but to the recipient who hasn't yet received it. I heard somebody say it like this. Um, Ray Cortez is a pastor in Florida and I listen to his sermons a lot and he said um, you know working for UPS must be a great job because you back up your brown panel van every morning and they fill up your truck and you go home and keep whatever you want right no you're a steward of those packages until you deliver them now you might say to yourself well that's what Paul says about himself it doesn't say that about me right Paul had a unique, of course, Paul had a unique role to play in the, in the life of the church. But do you know what the word church means? I mean, the Greek word church is ekklesia. It literally means the called out ones. Um, to be in the church means to have been called out. It means that God has called you out. Isn't there like a wonderful ambiguity in what that means? Because there's a sense in which it's saying, if you're, if you're a member of the church, God has called you out of something that you don't want to be in. And we've looked at this a couple weeks ago, that, that God has called us out 
of a life of death and into a new way of living. Right? He's called us from death into life. But there's, the other, there's this other sense in which he's called us out. Like, he's called, there's something to do. Right? Um, he's called us to be stewards. You've received the riches of Christ, and they've been given to you to enjoy and to bring awe and wonder and delight and satisfaction to your life. And do you know how you will know when the, the riches of Christ have really captured your imagination? It's when you begin to actually do something about it. When you begin to make it known and give it away to others. Okay, can we just talk real practically for a second here? We are a new church. We are a young church. We're here. You know what? There are plenty of great churches in Orange County. Do we really need one more? Well, only if we are together going to be about making known the riches of Christ to those who don't yet know it. That's the stewardship that God has given us at Resurrection OC. We want to help people move beyond busy and fine by connecting with God. And that's why many of us are here, but we need your help. Because the reality is that we always gossip about the good things that we experience in our lives. About a year ago, I came across a mystery novel uh, by a, uh, an author named Louise Penny. And like, I read this book, and it's so beautiful, and there's a whole series of them. And I talked to my sister about it, and she had read them. And we started talking about how great these are. And then for Father's Day, I gave them to my dad. And now my dad has bought all of them, and I borrowed them from my dad. And now my wife, who wouldn't take my word because she's never going to read a mystery novel just because her Luddite husband tells her to, is reading these because my dad and sister think they're great. And now my mom is reading them, right? Like, we can't stop talking. And now you're all going to be like, who is that lady again? Beautiful, beautiful books. I'm not trying to motivate anybody to talk about our church by making you feel guilty. The reality is if you love your church, you'll talk about it. Just like if you love Pope 74 and Louis Penny novels, you'll talk about them too. And honestly, if you don't, then there's nothing I can say to get you to do it. That's what it means to be a steward. We receive the mystery only to give it away. And that's what the church is. The church is not a restaurant where we come just to fill ourselves, but it's a trust that holds something in order to give it away. So let me ask you, has your experience with Christianity so captivated you that you would be motivated to do something about it? I mean, has, has Jesus so captured the riches of Christ? Have they captured your, your imagination and called you to this life of wonder to the extent that you might even be willing to do something hard because of it? I know that we, um, we expect spirituality in the 21st century. We just have this expectation. It's going to be organic and natural. And so if I don't feel like doing something, then I'm just not going to do it. Anybody who has ever planted a garden knows that the only thing that grows organically is the stuff that you don't want to grow. And that making a, something look organic actually takes an incredible amount of energy and effort. You know, Paul, I told you before, Paul's in Rome when he wrote this letter, we think. Um, Paul had experienced hardship in life. And you think, what's wrong with, like, what's so hard about being in Rome? Well, Paul's not in Rome for the reason that you and I would like to be in Rome. Paul is in Rome because having gone to Ephesus and planted this church, he then went back to Jerusalem where he was arrested for bringing a Gentile 
from Ephesus into the temple courts with him. And the Jews were offended, and so they arrested Paul, and he appealed to Nero. And then it took him like a year and a half to get to Rome, and he's in house, uh, under house arrest in Rome as he's now writing this letter. That's why he says in verse 1 that he's a prisoner for Christ on behalf of the Gentiles. Paul's whole life was hard, but he was caught up in this, this mystery, this wonder, this, this adventure of following Jesus no matter where he would lead. What about you? I don't know about you, but I know the reason that I'm afraid to do hard things it was just that. It's because I'm afraid. Um, I don't want to have hard conversations because I want people to like me. And if I say something you don't want to hear, then you might not like me anymore. Or you might leave the church. I don't want that to happen. Or I'm afraid to be generous with my time or my resources because I'm afraid I'll run out and I won't have enough. I'm afraid when I lose the wonder, when I forget about the mystery that God has made me his son, I think I just, I'm just going to hoard the things that he's given me. If I have any extra, maybe I'll give some away. So how does Paul respond to that? He doesn't respond and say, well, you know what? You're just going to have to buckle down and do it. And this is how I want to finish. He, he reminds us of the unsearchable riches of Christ. He talks about the privilege that we have to make known the unsearchable riches of Christ. Um, the Greek for unsearchable riches, it literally means not to be traced out or not to be surrounded. He's saying that the unsearchable riches of Christ, imagine there's a, there's a forest that is the riches of Christ and you don't know what's in that forest. But it's a, it's a place of adventure and wonder and, and magic and you cannot draw a boundary around it on a map. You couldn't hike all the way around it. And because we don't know exactly what's in it, we just look for distraction on its fringes. When Paul is saying you can never exhaust the wonder of what God is calling you to. Does that sound like the Jesus that you know? Has that been your experience of the family of God? I have to tell you guys, I want so much for that to be true for us as a church. And I think a lot of us do. But I think there's also a disconnect because our experience of Jesus lately maybe hasn't felt like unsearchable riches. And so we just kind of wait on the edge of the forest to see if something amazing will happen. And I'm coming to the conclusion more and more, with more and more certainty, that we will only begin to experience that wonder, that awe, if we actually get up and begin to follow God, not knowing where he will lead us. <laughs> For many of us, there seems to be a disconnect because the regular things of the Christian life, like going to church and reading the Bible, they feel like a burden. And they feel disconnected from real life. Talking about faith feels more natural than practicing it. But I'm in increasingly convinced that glory and sacrifice always go together. That wonder and joy only lie on the other side of the cross. You know, God wants his people to be satisfied. And we are so busy looking for satisfaction in life and bigger houses and remodels and cars and vacations and stuff and things that we just miss what God is doing in the world 
And God wants his people to be satisfied, but satisfaction always comes on the other side of the cross. To put it another way, we will experience the wonder and awe of the gospel as we live into our stewardship of it. As we just hold on to it, we're never going to experience it as mysterious and wonderful. We'll experience the wonder and mystery that the church is when we step into the reality that we are called out by God. I was watching football yesterday with my boys and it reminded me of something that happened a couple of years ago when um, my family moved to Utah to start a college ministry. I've never really been a big sports guy, um, but I found myself working with college students and beginning to become a really big Utah football fan. And a couple of years ago, we had a quarterback named Travis Wilson who, um, for a time, we thought was really going to be something special. And so there was a Saturday afternoon where I'm watching football with my kids, and they disappear for a little bit, and then they come back, and one of my boys has got on red pants, and he's got them tucked into his black socks, and he's got on his Utah shirt, and he's got his ski helmet on, and he's got this belt that's kind of going like this, you know, like a football helmet, and he's got a, a, a post-it that he's taped onto his shirt with Travis Wilson's number on it. And you know, like, that's cute, right? But I think beyond that, like, there's something deeper going on beyond just the cuteness of a kid dressing up like a football player. Because I think in a sense, my boy is sitting there, and he's going, this is so incredible that at some point I've got to find a way to actually get off the couch and not just watch the game and get into the action myself. And that is the invitation that Paul is holding out to us today. That's what the church is. It's a bunch of people who are just trying in imperfect, stumbling ways, ways that often look awkward to say, we've got to get off the couch and we've got to get into the game. And so, friends, this is an invitation to you to get into the game, to follow Jesus into whatever he might call you into, into a life that surely will be hard. And yet it will be mysterious and wonderful and awe-inspiring. And the promise of the gospel is that you will not get to the end of your life and turn around with regret. Because you have lived a life of awe and wonder and adventure as you have followed Jesus together with his people. Will you pray with me? Father, these are inspiring words and they hold out so much hope and yet um, my gut is that a lot of us are still wondering if it's true. God, could you really deliver on the promise of this mystery hidden for ages but now made known? the gospel of the church, that you have called us to yourself and you have called us out to do something in the world. God, we could never um, make a decision or implement a plan or a strategy to begin to live like that's true. It'll only happen if you overwhelm us with your grace. If you give us just a taste of the wonder. So would you do that in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.